Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. And God's Word says this to us this evening. When He opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So, we're going to look at those verses uh, this evening. Why don't we pray? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this evening for the gift of worship, and we also thank you for the gift of your word. And we thank you that many of us have been studying your word for many, many years, Uh, but we thank you that there is always more uh, that you reveal to us by your spirit. Uh, And we pray uh, that you would speak tonight by your spirit. Uh, that you would open up these few verses that we might grow in our knowledge and our understanding. Uh, And Lord, that you might just lead us uh, into a deeper walk with you and a deeper worship of you. Uh, We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to look at these five verses in chapter 8 this evening. And uh, It's a shorter section tonight. Uh, After that, uh, we get into a lot of detail, and it's hard to kind of bridge that. So, we'll get onto that in the coming weeks. But let me just uh, remind us uh, again as to uh, where uh, we have come from. And we saw back in chapter 5, verse 1, that John is given this vision Uh, of the Father uh, sitting on the throne and holding a scroll. And that scroll uh, had seven seals. Uh, And we were reminded that the search began for someone who was worthy uh, to come and to open the scroll and to break those seals. And Jesus appears. He is the one who is worthy. And uh, as we step into chapter 6, we see Jesus opening those seals. And as he opens each seal, uh, so there is a force that is released on earth. And this is part of the great tribulation, uh, those final years. And so, in verse 1 of chapter 6, the first seal is opened. uh, We saw that that refers to the coming of the Antichrist. And then, in verse 3, the second seal uh, is opened. And that refers to a time of war that will be coming on the earth. Then in verse 5, we see the third seal open and we begin to see food shortages and inflation around the world. Uh, Interesting, 
Uh, given what we are seeing at the moment, we can begin to relate to this text, uh, but don't let anyone tell you that we're in the end times just yet. We know biblically that that is not true. We're not in this seven-year period at this point. Then we see in verse 7, the fourth seal uh, being opened, and that releases plague, and it releases death and famine over the world. And then in verse 9 of chapter 6, we see the fifth seal being opened, and that refers to a time of mass persecution of those who believe in God. And then we come to verse 12, and the sixth seal is opened. And here comes God in His holy response. And the people look and they recognize God for the first time. The whole earth will see Him at this point. And in verse 16 of chapter 6, uh, it says, They called, and the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, that is Jesus, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And so they see the coming judgment of God, and the question is, who is going to be able to survive this? And then in chapter 7, we see the answer to that question in part, uh, and we see that a day is coming, uh, first of all, when the Jewish people uh, will turn to God en masse, and then when we get to verse 9, of chapter 7, uh, we see this picture of this great multitude gathered from every tongue and tribe and nation, uh, a reminder that God fulfills His promises, and that just as the Jews will be blessed and come to salvation, uh, so there is blessing also for the Gentiles. And that's good news for us here tonight. And so, this is a specific period in this tribulation where we will see many, many people coming to know the Lord. And then we step into chapter 8, and we're reminded that six seals have already been broken, and then we read these words in verse 1 of chapter 8. And it says this, when he opened the seventh seal, or when he broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Previous to this, uh, we have seen all this loud noise in heaven. Uh, we have seen loud praise. We have seen many proclamations that are made in heaven. And now, as the seventh seal is opened, we see that for about half an hour in heaven, there will be a period of silence. How are we to understand that? Well, here, for the first time, the seventh seal is being opened, and for the first time, people can see what is about to come. And the details of the opening of the seventh seal we will begin to read about uh, in Revelation as we go through the coming weeks. Uh, they will be pictured for us through the blowing of seven trumpets. And then we will step into chapter 16, I think, and there we will see these kind of seven bowls that are poured out of judgment upon the earth. 
And it's almost like this kind of rapid-fire series of judgments that are going to be sent upon the earth. Uh, Perhaps similar in some ways, the closest picture we get in Scripture thus far is probably around the time of the Exodus, and God is showing His power and His might, and He's sending one thing after another upon Egypt in order that they might see uh, who He is and acknowledge Him. And so here is the seventh seal that is opened by Jesus for the very first time, and there's just this kind of silence of awe, the silence of awe. It's a reminder that there are times when it is right, and we've seen this through Revelation, to lift up our praise and our worship to God. And yet, there's other times when it's right to be silent in His presence. Okay? Now, we think about that verse, be still and know that I am God. And sometimes we think about that as a kind of encouraging verse, that we want to sit in the stillness, and we want to sit in the quietness, and we want that encouragement of knowing God's presence with us, and to know that He is God. And there is truth in that. But there's other times when we're called as a people of God to be still and to know that He is God. And the Bible speaks about this kind of fear of the Lord, this kind of deep, deep reverence of God to truly understand who He is in His glory and His majesty and His holiness. And to see ourselves in light of that. And we think, we've looked at Isaiah recently, Uh, And we think when he gets this tremendous vision of God in all his holiness, suddenly he is convicted of his sin. He's convicted of how unworthy he is to stand in the presence of God. And as we think about these things, there's all these ideas about God that we need to hold in tension. Yes, he does love us. Yes, he is our good shepherd. Yes, he is there for us. But there's times that we just need to come in awe and reverence and in silence before God and to behold God in all His majesty. And here is heaven, and here is this great multitude, and here are these tens of thousands of angels upon tens of thousands of angels, and you've got the 24 elders, and you've got the living creatures, and they're all silent. And these are people who worship God, and yet almost it's as if there is this lament and this mourning in their heart because they recognize that there's no more seals to be broken. This is the beginning of the end, the last period of judgment to come upon the earth. And there's a gravity about this moment. And we think about evangelism, don't we? And we wonder what our catalyst is for sharing God's love with others and the message of the Bible. And perhaps a kind of previous generation emphasized in the church the kind of coming judgment. (coughs) 
and what would come if you did not turn to Jesus. And perhaps our generation has kind of gone the other way. And we emphasize the love of God. What I'm saying is that as we look at Scripture, there are things that we need to hold in tension. And there's a sense of kind of urgency as we look at Revelation. Yes, God does love us. Yes, the whole story of Revelation is how God loves to save. We were thinking about that this morning, and we are thinking about the prodigal son. God desires that we come back into relationship with us. Out of His great love, He has reconciled us to Himself. He comes, He pursues us. He seeks to draw us back into relationship with Him. But there's a choice to be made. And there are those who harden their hearts. And we know friends and family members, and we know that there are consequences for not turning to the Lord. And we're reminded again and again that now, at this moment, it's the time of salvation. That opportunity is there to turn to Jesus. And it should spur us on. It should spur us on in our intercession and our prayer and our evangelism. Uh, for those friends and family members who we deeply love, who we know that God loves. But we've got the responsibility of sharing that gospel message with Him. Well, let's see what Scripture goes on to say. Then it says this, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. As each of these seven trumpets is sounded, it will release uh, a judgment upon the earth, and we're going to look at that uh, next week onwards. I don't know if you're an expert in trumpets. Anyone an expert in trumpets? No? Anyone an expert in the biblical symbolism of trumpets in the Old Testament? Is that your 40 kind of possible PhD area? No? Well, you're going to be tonight. <laughs> We're going to take a wee sidestep, and we're going to look at the significance of trumpets in the Old Testament. Very exciting stuff here, Matt. You just hold on to your seat there. We've seen uh, previously how different instruments are used in the Bible and have this symbolic um, imagery around them. Uh, we've seen already in Revelation uh, the playing of harps and how that was often uh, associated with prophecy. And now here we have trumpets, and trumpets are very significant uh, within the Old Testament. Uh, there's a whole section on trumpets uh, within the book of Numbers in chapter 10. And here's some of the things that we discover were the purposes uh, behind trumpets in the Old Testament. And so, first of all, in Numbers uh, chapter 10, verse 1 to 4, uh, we see how trumpets were used to gather the community of God's people together and to call the leaders together also. It says this, the Lord said to Moses, make two trumpets of hammered silver and use them for calling the community together and for having the camps set out. When both are sounded, the whole community is to assemble before you at the entrance to the tent of meeting. 
If only one is sounded, the leaders, the heads of the clans of Israel are to assemble before you. And so here are God's people, and the way that they gather one another together is by sounding these trumpets. Two trumpets, everyone comes. One trumpet, the leaders gather together. Maybe we need that on a Sunday morning. Everyone's having coffee. We'll get someone up the front to sound the trumpet uh, a couple of times. And then we see that the trumpet was also to be used when the people were preparing uh, to go out into battle against the enemy. It was a way of calling upon God and asking God to remember them and to come and to fight on their behalf. It says this in verse 9, when you go into battle in your own land against an enemy who is oppressing you, sound a blast on the trumpets. Then you will be remembered by the Lord your God and rescued from your enemy. So it was a way of calling upon God, asking God to come and to intercede and to help. And then verse 10 of Numbers 10, uh, it was also a time that they were to uh, blow the trumpets and sound the trumpets over their offerings that would be brought to God. And so it says this, also at your times of rejoicing, your appointed festivals and new moon feasts, you are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and they will be a memorial before you, for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So not just in times of difficulty and in times of battle, but also in times of rejoicing, they were to sound the trumpets. Perhaps one of the most well-known times uh, that we see trumpets being blown is in that story of Joshua and the walls of Jericho. And we read these words, on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. So one of the roles, key roles of the priests was also to learn to play the trumpet. I'm feeling convicted here that I need to go and get some trumpet lessons. And it was to go up in front of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. That was uh, symbolizing God's presence with them. And again, it was a call for the Lord. And here in this passage, we note that there are seven priests carrying seven trumpets. We're about to see seven angels with seven trumpets in Revelation. There's more. Surely there's not more. Plenty of passages. But here again, we read of the priests in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. All the Levites who were musicians and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals and harps and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by the trumpet, cymbals, and other instruments, the singers raised their voice in praise to the Lord and said, He is good. His love endures forever. 
Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could perform their service because of the cloud, for could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So here are God's people. Solomon has built this temple, and they're consecrating the temple to God. And here are the priests, and they're blowing their trumpets, and this is part of their worship. Finally, we see for now in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 34, that the trumpet was also used in the coronation of kings. Zadok the priest then took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon, and then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, long live King Solomon. Now, why have I told you all about trumpets. What is the relationship and the connection here? Well, we're to bear in mind all this imagery that was in the Old Testament the people would have been familiar with because they would have gone to all these gatherings and they would have seen this in action. It's not just something that they've read about. They would have seen the priests out there blowing their trumpets. They would have known that the people gathered whenever the trumpets were sounded. They would have seen the coronation of kings, and they would have seen those trumpets being played. They would have seen that praise and worship and great festivals and celebrations of the Jewish people. And at all of them, there would have been these trumpets. And now we step into Revelation, and we see these seven angels that are coming with seven trumpets. And we are to bear in mind all this imagery of the Old Testament. Here is God, and He is going to go out in front of His people to fight this final battle against sin. Here is this enemy that needs to be defeated in order for God's kingdom to come in its fullness. And that is part of what these trumpets symbolize. And these trumpets, as we'll see over the coming week or two, are also there to announce celebration, the celebration of victory, the celebration that our God reigns. These trumpets will be used to assemble the people of God, to bring them together in God's presence. And ultimately, it is this thought that the day is coming where the Lord Jesus will be crowned as the King of Kings and as the Lord of lords, that He will be the one who is going to come and to reign finally over His new kingdom. And so, that is the imagery here of the trumpets. So, we've had the silence in heaven we've had the sounding of the trumpets that we're going to see unfolding over the next coming verses. And then we read these words. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. 
the Old Testament, we have these seven priests blowing seven trumpets. Here in Revelation, uh, we have these seven angels blowing seven trumpets. We're meant to see that they're performing some sort of priestly duty. And in the Old Testament, we know that the priests also had other duties. Uh, they had to tend to the altar of burnt offering. They had to put incense on the fire in order that it might rise to heaven, symbolizing the prayers of the people. And so, here we step into Revelation, and we see another angel appearing, and we see that he is performing a kind of priestly duty. And we know that typically the priest would go, and he would take some hot coal from the brazen altar, and then he would carry it in this kind of golden censer, and then he would put it uh, with the incense in order that it would rise up to heaven. Again, we miss some of that imagery being an independent evangelical church, but we're an independent evangelical church. We can do whatever we want. Maybe we need to order a golden censer, and we'll come down the aisle, and we'll have some incense going, a bit like high Anglicanism, and we'll get all this imagery. We don't see it here. We're missing out on all these traditions within the wider church. So, perhaps as illustrations for the sermons going forward, I need to get some trumpets, I need to get a golden censer, I'll go into Amazon, see what I can get, and then we'll bring this sermon to life. I can see us all parading down with the incense, the trumpets going, it'll keep you all awake, it'll be a fantastic sermon, you'll remember it, uh, and you can post on Instagram uh, about it. Why is it talking about this? Why is it talking about the incense? And why is it talking about the prayers of the people? Well, the point is this, and there is a point. Why does this judgment come? Why does this judgment come? Well, part of it comes not just because of God's holy character, but part of it comes as a response to the prayers of God's people. Why does this judgment come? It comes in response to the prayers of God's people. Here is this imagery of the incense and of the prayers of God's people, and it happens right before this final period of judgment. And what is it that God's people are praying? Well, we've seen previously in Revelation that they were praying, how long, O Lord, how long, O Lord, God's people under the severe persecution, asking, how long is this going to go on, Lord, before you come and you stand and you bring justice? And we think about the prayers that we easily offer up as well as Christians. How many of us have prayed, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever prayed that? I think we've all prayed that, haven't we? 
That's the prayers of God's people. And yet, what we have to recognize is that in order for that to happen, there must be some sort of act of judgment. God's name will never be fully hallowed until sin is dealt with. We need to recognize that. God's name will never fully be hallowed until sin is dealt with. God's kingdom will never fully come until sin is dealt with. God's will will never fully be done on earth as it is in heaven until sin is dealt with. We need to understand that. We need to understand that there are implications to our prayers. For people to receive salvation, for people to be set free, God has to come and to work and to move. And often that work that He has to do is knocking Satan off a throne in order that he might be established on the throne as Lord. We know that, don't we? And so we pray for friends and family, don't we? And we long for God to come into their lives. But we recognize for that to happen that often there's a spiritual battle that goes on. Some of us have been praying for friends and family for many, many years. And we recognize that there's a spiritual battle that is going on within their lives, and we intercede for that. And what we see in someone's individual life is magnified when we think maybe about this community around us. So, if we desire for God's kingdom to come here, here in Mary Hill, then there's this massive spiritual battle that has to happen. Because in so many places in our community, Satan is on the throne. And if we're desiring God to come and to move and to really be on the throne for God's kingdom to come, for God's will to be done here in Mary Hill as it is in heaven, then that involves this huge spiritual battle, doesn't it? Of God coming along and dethroning Satan in the places where he is ruling and reigning in order that the Lord might come and rule and reign. And then we think about that in our whole world. And we see all these false religions and false ideologies and false gods that are worshipped, but Satan's behind them all. And in order for God to come and to rule and to reign, Satan needs to be dethroned. And here are God's people, and they're praying, how long, O Lord? They're praying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Their desire is for God to come and to rule and reign finally. We know in part now, one day we will know fully. But we need to recognize that for that to happen, there's going to be this kind of final spiritual battle that needs to take place. But God does it not just out of his character and out of his will. He does it in response to our prayers. When we pray for God to come and to move, that is a two-sided action. Yes, he wants to show his love. 
but actually for us to experience God fully, there are things in this world that need to be dealt with. And that's what we're going to see here in Revelation, is God kind of clearing the way once and for all for His kingdom to come in fullness. And so in response to these prayers, we read these words as we end tonight. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Here are God's people praying, symbolized by this golden censer. And as it is filled with fire from the altar, so the angel hurls it down on earth. And as that happens, we see the beginning of this judgment beginning to flow out, which we're going to look at in the coming weeks. Do you know what? I think if we understand Revelation properly, it leads our hearts to be torn, okay? If we understand God's Word fully, it leads to our hearts being torn. First of all, we rejoice in what we have in Christ, yes? We've been looking at that in Ephesians, and we rejoice at what we have in Christ. We've been thinking about this great inheritance that is before us, and we're rejoicing that all that lies in front of us, we're going to receive it through Christ. We're excited. We're excited about seeing Jesus. We're excited about getting to heaven. But there's this other side of us, because our hearts are torn, that grieve over those who might miss out on that. That's what this is all about. God has something tremendous in store for us. We're excited because we're going to get to heaven and we're going to embrace it and we're going to just enjoy being in God's presence. We're going to enjoy all this worship and praise. We know that the walk on earth might be tough, but it's going to be worth it. But we also think about those folks who don't know Jesus yet and our hearts are torn that they're going to miss out on it. What is our response to that? Well, yes, we want to pray for God's kingdom to come, but we want to intercede even more for those who don't know Jesus. And we want to make God's love visible to them, and we, want to, we just want to pray, God, come and move in my son's life, in my daughter's life, for my grandchildren, for my friends that I've been praying for for years. Lord, just come and move. I want them to experience the blessings of heaven, the blessings of knowing Jesus. And so I think tonight, just as we respond, normally I pray, but what we're going to do, let's just have a few moments of quietness and silence. And in our own hearts, why don't we just pray for those names that come to our mind, Names that you've maybe been praying for every morning for the last 20, 30 years. Who knows? People you're praying for who don't know Jesus. And let's just pray that God would come and move afresh in their lives. And then I'll just pray a small prayer over us, and then we'll worship. So let's just spend a few moments in response to God and His Word, just naming before God those people who He's placed on our hearts that they might come to know Jesus.
Lord, we thank you for every name that has been lifted up in your presence this evening. Lord, we just want to cover every name for you. We just want to ask that our desire is that none would be lost, but that all these names that we have mentioned in your presence, that they might come to be children of God, sons and daughters of you. Well, we thank you that the day is coming when there will be that trumpet call and when you will return and you will take the church to be with you. And Lord, our prayer is that as we stand in heaven, that those people that we have mentioned tonight in your presence, that they might be standing with us, bringing glory and honor to you. And Lord, sometimes we struggle to talk about judgment and wrath, tough things for us to get our heads around. But we desire that a day will come when your justice will be known, when your love will be known in full, when there will be that peace and that security in heaven that we have never known in our lives because of the spiritual battle with sin and evil. And we recognize that in order uh, for heaven to come, that sin has to be dealt with. And we recognize that you started that work on the cross, and we know that what you have started, you will bring to completion. And our desire is that for those that we know and we love, that their lives might be safe in Christ that while they might be dead at the moment, that they might be alive, that while they might be lost, that they might be found. Lord, we ask that by your Holy Spirit that you would come and move in their lives even this week and draw them to you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Are we addendum to my sermon? I just thought of there. Just to encourage some of you, very short, George Muller, great man of prayer, he wrote down the names of, was it five friends that he was praying for? Prayed for the first one, I can't remember specifically, but what it said basically was, he prayed for the first one, he prayed for all five of them. The first one came to faith within the first month. He prayed on. About three months later, the second one came to faith. He prayed on. Something like five years later, the third one came to faith, and he prayed on. And I think it was something like 52 years later, the other two that he was praying for both came to faith on the same day. 52 years of faithfully praying for them, uh, and 52 years later, on the same day, those final two people on his list came to faith. Just to encourage some of you who have been praying for many years for some people, keep praying, keep praying. God hears your prayers.